Hey, Jeff here real quick. At the end of this episode, I say we'll be back in two weeks. That's a lie. We'll be back next week with Hook. So just ignore what I say later in the thing and listen to what I'm saying right now. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! What are you looking at, butthead? Nobody calls me chicken needles. Nobody! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Welcome to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself, Jeff, and Eric. Hey. Eric, we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order, and on occasion we watch things that are Spielberg adjacent and refuse to talk about the man himself. Uh, but uh, today is a very special day. My podcast worlds are colliding. It is uh, my other podcast partner in crime from the movie Draft House is here. Mark, welcome to whatever we are doing, Spielberg Chronologically. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. This is weird, but it's also magical, so thanks. Glad to be yes. here. So, Eric, I don't know how much movie Draft House you listen to, but... Every um, episode, I drop Mark in. I is, drop in for sure. Okay. Well, Mark is constantly saying I don't have enough energy mm. on this show. Mm. It's a different show. It's a different show. We got a different vibe. I think you're fine. Talking some shit is what I'm saying. <laughs> so. The only shit I ever talk is about you cheating on me. So, um, Yeah, that's true. He does get mad about that. I was the so, uh, I was the other woman without knowing I was the other woman. Yeah. <laughs> For sure he was, Listen, and then he told me about it. <laughs> and then I finally got it to a situation where we're having this menage a trois. So I win in the end. I, I've actually been watching, um, because my wife is a big fan, the TLC, TLC show uh, Sister Wives. Um, so I don't know if like me and Eric are sisters or you and Eric are sisters, but I feel like that's what we're doing right no, now. No, you two would be the sisters. Okay. I'm the polygamist here. Okay. Well. Right? Is that how it, that works? It's, it's, a, it's called plural relationship. Um, it looks very stressful to me. Like, just sorry. from the big love days, Paxton and all that, it looks very stressful. It looks like nothing I would ever want to engage with. No. <laughs> Too much. Anyway, we're off topic right away. That's how we do things. So, uh, we are closing out our brief series on Back to the Future, where... Eric and his insanity has watched the first two Back to the Futures, but never watched part three. Yeah. And what? I'll, t I'll tell you what. <laughs> what? Uh, we, we've, gone, <laughs> we've gone ad nauseum in the other episodes about, about why I never uh, watched it. But you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this a practice. I'm going to start skipping movie, like franchise movies on purpose. Like I decided last night while I was thinking about it. I'm just not going to go see Thor. Like I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to wait 30 years and watch Thor when I'm 80 uh, because uh, the experience of suddenly having a sequel to a beloved movie with the original actors that you've never seen before and being able to experience it for the first time all these years later 
pure magic. Pure yeah. <laughs> magic. I cannot express to you how cool it was to watch this movie for the first time. And, and like, my mind was just blown. My mind was absolutely blown. And, and uh, I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm going to start doing it on purpose. I'm going to start skipping movies <laughs> on purpose. Skip and, Love and Thunder to watch it years later. And watch later. it years later because it's, like, suddenly a special treat. Like, there is no way there will ever be another back to the future sequel right like it's right. never going to happen like it is impossible Not for it with to ever happen the OG cast but yeah. but from my perspective i just got a brand new back to the future movie all these years later like to me spanking new you know yeah. and and uh, so it's like I had uh, my own time machine magic going on like i, I got to tell you it was, oh. it was it was a fascinating experience to watch it for the first time great way to tie it together so we have mark here and the reason being is mark what is your favorite back to the future film oh it's back to the future three no doubt no why doubt. uh so and i know because i'm a i'm a spielberg chronologically fanboy um so i listen to every episode uh and i know y'all like to kind of uh reminisce of what you're history with the with the movie is and my history is kind of reverse i think i think i f- saw back to the future 3 as a as a kid teenager as my first back to the future movie um and i don't really recall what like why i i think i think i had it on vhs but I'm not quite positive. Um, but I, I remember seeing Back to the Future three, and it's and it's kind of a it it's a continuation of two, but it's almost its standalone film. Um, and I just that was the movie that first introduced me to Back to the Future. Um, it was the first my first introduction to the characters. And it's a kick-ass western, um, and that's it, it's fun. It's and it, I don't I don't know if it's sacrilege to say, but um, it's it's the best Back to the Future movie. I wouldn't call it sacrilege, but it's not surprising coming from you, sir. An unpopular opinion, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what about you, Jeff? So clearly, what's, what's what's your oh, what's your history here? I saw this in theaters. Like okay. I I saw two in theaters, and right at the end of two is a trailer for three, and it was like oh hell yeah! And then I went to see three, and loved it. Like I've always loved the entirety of Back to the Future. I've never even tried to pick until really this week after watching Back to the Future three again. Uh, a favorite just because they were all good to me. I like all of them. And, you know, I liked two because it was so biff heavy. And while, uh, oh, but mad dog, t- oh, is, he's, it, this is the best biff. Oh, disagree hard, oh. but I love him. But it, it, the biff in two is the biff because he's throughout the whole movie. He's old biff. He's young biff. He's corrupt biff, you know, I, but, um, yeah, I love the Western one. Um, and I also think one of the things we talked about before is how hampered two is by the loss of 
um, Crispin Glover. Help me out. Crispin Glover. That this movie had the time to sort of fix that and write a proper story without him in it, and it feels more cohesive because of it. I do but yeah, agree I, with that. Yeah, I was reading last night that originally the part of Seamus was written for Crispin Glover, which would have been an interesting turn, you know, because uh, hmm. uh, what's-her-name is the mom. Leah yeah, Thompson. Leah Thompson, yeah. yeah, and then she plays Seamus' wife. But the problem with that is is incest. I mean, there's still kind of is, but less so, I think, with Michael J. Fox playing Seamus. But if, if you only 100 years ago... Your two parents had relatives just a hundred years ago, like great grandfather. I think they were saying. Well, nobody says you know? nobody says that that the Leah Thompson character in Back to the Future Three is an ancestor of the mom in Back to the Future. But it's she's sort an of ancestor implied. of the dad in Back to the Future. McFly's just go for a type. Like McFly's, that's the kind of woman that a, a McFly likes is a Leah Thompson type. So you know, okay. George George finds his own. I mean, there's there's worse options out there. Well, yeah, but um, yeah. So I, I so early, obviously, Mark's favorite Back to the Future. So your first time uh, with your your sort of magical glasses of getting this magic sequel years down the road. Let's try to set that aside and just tell me what you think of Back to the Future Three, Eric. It is dramatically better than Back to the Future 2. Dramatically better. I I last week said I would give Back to the Future 2 like a 2 on a scale of 1 to 10. I would give Back to the Future 3 like an 8. It is a massive improvement. So much so that I had a hard time believing that they filmed these films back to back without yeah. taking more time to consider and think about this one because it feels as though they were realizing some of the problems of the second movie and like fixing them. Um, I, I love you, Jeff, but I sure hate me some Biff in back to the future too. I hate Biff. I don't un- I hate how Griff. Do you hate I just, Biff. I cannot stand it. I just, that Griff situation is just the worst, most cartoony bullshit I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> I love Griff. It completely pulls you out of the movie. It is, it is just hot garbage. And, and when it gets to that point in back to the future Two, where Griff shows up, uh, to me, it's saying, I'm not taking your time seriously. I'm not taking Ugh. this film seriously. There's no need for you to take this film seriously. And that never happens in this movie. Like, this movie is much more consistent with the tone of the first one. It never goes down that cartoony slide, you know? Yeah. And so I'm able to take Mad Dog much more seriously as a villain. Like, sure, he's, he's goofy and he's still biffy, you know, and there are all those, like, excellent kind of crossover moments and so on. But he actually feels like a threat instead of a cartoon character. And uh, so I really liked that. I loved the focus on Doc. Um, I'm totally cool with, like, the Doc love story and everything. Um, I did like the way that it tied up some of the loose ends from Back to the Future 2, even though I didn't like that movie. There were some story elements that uh, you remember last time. I was like, what the hell? You know, like, what's going mm-hmm. on with this guy? What's going on with Flea? What is this all about? You know, and it does take the time to kind of like fill in some of those gaps, which I appreciated. Um, but if it's two halves of a whole, this is definitely the extreme better half 
of the whole mm-hmm. extreme better half. Like I would put it just behind the original Back to the Future in terms of of quality. I'm, I, this is a movie I'm going to come back to. I'm going to watch this again. Uh, back to the Future Two, I will never willingly watch again. So that, why didn't that you Eric, dead to de- me? So, so why why didn't you um, ever get around to this? Um, I, it dawned on me last time when we were doing the podcast. It's because I hated two so much. Mm. Um, and, and I kind of had forgotten until I watched it again just how much I despised it, and uh, and, and that was why. Like I, I kind of had this. Well, if they're gonna treat me like shit, I'm not gonna come back again. You know, and, and <laughs> like, that was kind of the feeling I had. I was like, you're just taking my money and giving me garbage, and uh, and and so I never did get around to this one. I always just assumed that it was gonna be the most boring of the three, and. Uh, you know that it was going to continue down that super cartoony way that the second one went, and and so I I just never did it. I've always kind of meant to, you know, um, but I just never got around to it. Um, so yeah, I'm super happy we did this podcast. I'm super happy I got a chance to watch it. I'm I was just very pleased with it overall. So as as a western, what do you guys think of it? I think it's an awesome western. I think from like it's it's a a PG western mm. that you can watch with your kids like it's like I love Tombstone my favorite western of all time but I'm I can't sit down and watch that with Teddy but like this it has that authentic western feel a little steampunkiness thrown in because of doc science um but I think Griff is not Griff sorry uh Buford Tannen is a great villain he's slimy and gross and it it's Thomas Wilson just being the best thing about Back to the Future consistently across the board. Um, so I think as a Western, it stands tall. And it also is kind of this unique Western where you've got these guys from the future trying to time travel back. You'll never see another Western like it mm-hmm. because of its background in the Back to the Future world. Uh, yeah, like, you know, there's Westerns and then there's Westerns. This This kind of reminds me of like, a 1950s TV Western. You know what I mean? Like, there's like 310 to Yuma, right? Like, realistic West, like the modern version of 310 to Yuma. Mm-hmm. Like, realistic, like, dusty Westerns, you know? Gritty Westerns. Tombstone, probably another great example. And then there are, like... Uh, well, spaghetti Westerns. Spaghetti, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, you know, like, 1950... Like, that. <laughs> as soon as that guy talks in the bar and you know the guy, you recognize yeah. his voice immediately yeah. as soon as he talks. I'm like, okay, this is this is where we are. We're in the yeah, Westerns that have this guy in them, you know? Oh, yeah, oh, I oh, always oh. think of um, Gunsmoke, the radio program, because when I was growing up, on Sunday nights, they would have old-time radio on public radio, and my dad and my brother and I would fall asleep listening to old-time radio, and they played Gunsmoke, and the right-hand man of the main Gunsmoke guy was that voice. Yeah, that guy is awesome. I watched a YouTube yeah. clip today of all like the cartoon voices that he's done yeah, over the lo- years. Yeah, I had to look it's, up what cartoons he was in. It's pretty um, stellar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I think it works as a western, like on on that level, not as like a serious modern western, but it has all the cool western tropes, like you know, and, and the train and the saloon, and uh, so soundtrack. Um, I like the simplicity the, of the plot. Yeah, and the soundtrack. The soundtrack is amazing, um, the, start to finish, for sure. The way that they took the Back to the Future theme and then like did it 
in like old Westy instruments. Yep. This <laughs> is just just stellar. Like I really love it. And the addition of ZZ Top. Oh, and replacing. I love ZZ Top playing the like <laughs> yeah. the uh, the bluegrass version of Double Back. That song thumps. I love that song. Yeah, <laughs> where they're at the the party. So, Mark, I need you to tell me why is this better than one? Like we all agree, it's better than two. Why is it better than one? Um, I think the scope uh, of of the film. One was very concise, um, and Marty McFly uh, focused. and And while this one is, but it also expands uh, the characters. It, it there's more. We get a lot more Doc Brown in depth here than we did in in one. I think. Um, now I, I, I told Jeff yesterday. Certainly yes, true. I told Jeff yesterday when we we recorded uh, our podcast that I went to into this cold um i didn't watch one or two before i i dived into the third and and when when it started i was like oh shit it's a continuation i forgot um and so i was kind of like trying to reel in my mind like what happened in two how did two end um but i think from start to finish we get so much broader scope in in three than in one or two and i think that's that's why I enjoyed it more, and I I think it's 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 better than one in my opinion. It's just because it, man, just just from the location to the characters to um, it's a it's a more contained story, but it it is a continuation. Um, that's I think that's why I enjoyed it more than one. It definitely feels bigger. Like it yeah. definitely feels like a bigger movie. Like like one, you know, it has that excellent. Uh, 1950s world and I think it definitely does the best job with like the in jokes tying the 80s to the 50s you know and and, and the way it kind of self-references itself and there was some of that in this movie but it does that great but this movie feels big like especially the sequence with the train you know Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. that is you know that is a real train they've got on real tracks pushing a real DeLorean with real dudes running on it and it's just a big production you know like it, it, i don't want to like compare it to like fury road because it's not like that big but it definitely is, yeah. is a step up you know as far as the the complexity and the just the size and scope of the film goes uh you know it feels a lot a lot larger and along those lines there are fewer moments special effects wise where you're like Ugh. right there are a couple but out of the three it definitely is the most practical Mm -hmm. and consistent effects i think oh for sure that yeah the only places where i really kind of like noted it were the hoverboard sequence at the end um which is always you know like how 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 are you going to pull that off in the 80s right you know like that's the best that it could possibly be um there was one sequence with marty and seamus walking and talking at the fair or the celebration or whatever that it was just yeah, the, 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 the lighting, lighting was just a little a weird. Little off. Leah Thompson doesn't look directly at Marty when she's talking to him, you know, like it's just like <laughs> yeah. a little, little wonkiness. And, and then like probably the biggest moment, like I actually looked at my wife and was like, Oh, that was pretty shady. It's the moment where Seamus hands the baby to Marty and Leah Thompson like walks and kind of covers up the frame as they transfer the baby. And I don't know what version you guys were watching. I was watching it on Blu-ray, but it actually seems to like skip a couple frames when that happens. Like they, they just don't like pull that transition off all the way. Um, but for the most part, 
Like the second movie, yeah. every three seconds, you know, was kind of a shady special effect. I mean, great for the time, but, you know, noticeable in this day and age. Uh, whereas this movie, there were only a couple moments. So, yeah, I agree. Much, much improved. Um, the only thing I would add would be the, the final train oh, yeah, yeah. flying off. Yeah. Um, didn't it didn't look horrible but it it there it's you could see the seams you know what i've noticed this time on blu-ray that i never noticed before it's the scene in the 1950s where marty marty uh is leaving the 1950s and you know like he skids away and he doesn't go through the theater or whatever um and then the burning tracks are on the ground and doc is like dancing around in celebration on the tracks i really noticed how they put like rubber things down on the ground and set them on fire. Like every time I've watched, like, cause the scene is in all three movies and every time I'm like, man, how did I miss that when I was a kid? Like, it's definitely not just like burning tracks or just fire on the ground. Like there are actual like rubber implements that they've laid down on the ground there and set them on fire. Um, I don't know. Just a weird thing that I picked up effects wise. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, take a look then. Um, the movie of course starts off at the end of two where Marty is stuck in 1955. He goes to meet doc. Now this is one of the things that you said you were interested in, Eric, is how he gets out. Um, how do you feel about the logic behind the, the DeLorean being left in a cave and doc going to find it and this whole 1950s section? I was totally cool with it. I was on board 100%. Like I, I, like I said in, in 2, the 1950s parts were the best parts for me. Those were the parts that worked for me in 2. And so, you know, this is just a continuation of that. And uh, so I, I really dug it. I thought Doc was great in these sequences. There's there's one point where he's, like, heading into the bathroom or something, and he just completely loses his shit. He's just like, like he just like, he just can't <laughs> yeah. handle it anymore. And, uh, like, that that moment was excellent i was totally okay with the the car being in the mine i loved that they put white wall tires on him with those silver mm. hubcaps like as soon yep. as it rolled out and again this is the first time i'm seeing this so i was like yeah that's great you know it looks so cool and uh so yeah i was i was totally with it the weird contraption on the hood you know i loved uh, that I thing again really dug yeah. it i really dug it so he gets dressed up as Clint Eastwood with his pink outfit and boots. And he goes back. He's not thinking fourth dimensionally, which is, uh, I think they only start the fourth dimensional thing in this movie, which is kind of like a shame because it's such a true statement. Like their time is the fourth dimension that they're having to travel through. And uh, I, I just appreciated that at some point, someone writing this was like, hey, this is what Doc would say. And they add the fourth dimension trend. Before um, before we leave they, the 1950s, I want to ask Mark, since this was the first Back to the Future film that he ever saw. Um, when you saw this for the first time, and you might not remember, did any of that make sense to you? Or did it just kind of glaze right by you because i was thinking last night watching it like wow people who haven't seen the second one would really be lost you know as to what's going on here or did you just kind of accept it as oh some stuff happened in the last movie and i'm just not aware of it i'm just gonna go with it yeah um i'm trying to trying to remember like because i'm i'm pretty sure i had all of them on vhs and i don't know why i just 
decided to watch three. I don't, I don't know if it was because it was a Western. Um, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I just like was like, okay, cool. You know, um, that's that's what happened. And we're just picking up. And like, I, I realized it was a continuation, but it didn't like the ramifications from two. Like they weren't so prominent in three that you you needed absolutely to watch three to enjoy this film. And I think that's that's why I I didn't, I guess, turn it off and be like, oh, shit, I got to go watch two first. And um, I mean, I did. I, I want to say I, I probably after this movie because I had such a good time with it, went back and watched the first two shortly thereafter. But no, I. If this this movie doesn't the the premise of the first two aren't aren't so large that you have to watch the first two, and I I think that's where I I was at when I watched this one for the first time. Yeah, I guess it, like I hadn't really thought about it before just now, but like this was the '90s, right, or the late '80s. This one came out in '90, yeah. I think. So I think people back then also were more accustomed to just coming into stories in the middle. Right. Like if there's a TV show on and everybody at school is talking about that TV show, there was no way to go back and start at the beginning. Like now we're just like, I'm going to Netflix that shit for episode one and watch. But back then it was just like, well, they're on episode nine. I guess I'm just going to start with episode nine and see if I can catch up in reruns. Uh, So I guess for people just to plop in in the middle of a story, uh, it probably didn't feel as foreign as it does now, you know? Well, and I think the movie does a good job of setting it up. Like, he pretty much explains, hey, I'm stuck here. And they they read the letter from Doc, and it pretty much is all the exposition you need. that's the best way they could have done that, Um, while not getting bogged down into the kind of the problems that plague two um, with time travel. And it just, it was, it was a very good way of getting the exposition out of the way. Yeah. So the whole thing is, is that he's supposed to just go home, right? Michael J. Fox is supposed to head back to 1985 Hill Valley and continue life and destroy the DeLorean. And so time travel can sort of stop because they just keep messing it up. You know, Doc realizes that time travel is dangerous, at least at the beginning of the film. Um, And then uh, they find that Doc is killed shortly after he's written his note by Buford Tannen, uh, a descend, uh, an ancestor of Biff and Griff. Uh, so they decide instead they're going to go back to 1855, 1885. Which one is it? 1885. 18, um, and, and, and save Doc, who is living life as a blacksmith who... Basically, wants to retire in the old west. It's kind of it's uh, kind of funny how Doc, like the whole movie, like oh, the whole series, he's like, "Oh, you shouldn't know too much about your future, Marty." <laughs> and as soon as he finds out that he gets killed, he's like, "Fuck that! Go save me!" Like he just, <laughs> he just totally throws it out the window. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Especially like he freaks out. He goes, "Shot in the back." He's like, that's no way to live. What kind of retirement is that? Yeah. Now, I suppose yeah. that that 1950s doc could have just lived his life and gone through the entire timeline and 30 years from now had the adventure in the future and then gone back to the West and then just known that he was going to get shot by Tannen on that day and locked himself in a toilet somewhere. You know, like he didn't, <laughs> yeah. he didn't have to send really Marty back. Like he knows 
that he's going to get shot that day. So that he could is, just he could just that is sort of a plot hole a bit, right? Yeah. Like he knows he when he's going to get shot. He could do a lot of other things. Day trip to San Francisco. Just you know, try like, to go back to the future. Yeah. We would have wouldn't have um, much of a movie like Doc hiding in a right like if he was just hiding house, or say. moved to a different you know old west town it definitely wouldn't have been the same film um, and that but and, he, and I think that's that's kind of where the the rules of time travel in film kind of just go away and and you know they use a picture to of the the headstone um, to kind of gauge where where they're at in the in the big scheme of things you know at first it's it's doc's name on the headstone and then it's marty's or clint eastwood on the headstone and then it's no nobody's name on the headstone and so like it's fun but if you start like looking at it and going hmm, that doesn't make much sense they you'll find a bunch of a bunch of uh scientific holes there i guess for the rules of time travel but um i think that's where the movie the movie does a good job of of kind of just glossing over that and going, Hey, just go with it. You know, we're good. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna establish these, these are the rules and we're going to stick to them. Um, and I think that's the old, uh, I, I think the perfect scene is, uh, from Austin powers Two. you know, where Austin powers is like, well, if I go back and then he starts describing all the paradoxes and his eyes go crossed, Basil exposition is there. He goes, just don't think about it. Okay. Yeah. Just have fun. And he looks at the camera and that goes for you guys too. Like it's kind of that <laughs> yeah. thing. Anytime we we've talked about it, I think even on the last two episodes, when time travel's kind of involved, there are only two possible actual scientific rules that would work. Not either of them are any fun, um, you know. But this is a lot more fun because of it. So we we could even get into one of the things is uh, Clayton Ravine. Uh, is one of the things that gets talked about and changed here. So Doc has a love interest in Clara Clayton, who they save from falling into a ravine that has an Indian name, uh, a Native American tribe name, I should say. And But in the future, it's called Clayton Ravine because there's this old school teacher who died in it, and that was supposed to be Clara. But... If it's already, and I have an explanation, at least for my brain, but if it's called Clayton Ravine in Marty's main future and they save her from falling in it and then it changes back to the other one, but it was Clayton Ravine already with Doc there like my yeah, brain is yeah, turning inside let's out let's explode brains here yeah um. <laughs> watching you try to work through this is great <laughs> but the idea that they did save her from death uh by back to the future rules should really result in a much greater butterfly effect right. going on into the future like the future that marty comes back to probably shouldn't be the future with the four by four and you know dad and sunglasses and thin felt mom it should be some other thing because like they they have like gone way further back into the past and made a much bigger change uh by by leaving the school teacher alive and so the repercussions of that uh by their own rule set should have been 
far more. That's at the end of the movie. I was expecting to have them dip her forward into 1985 just to get her the hell out of there and kind of close that loop yeah. and solve the problem, <laughs> but they don't, you know. And uh, so I thought that that was an interesting. I don't know, another plot hole, I guess. Well, you can say at the end of the movie, Doc's just like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> you get the, like, he, you know, most of the movies, like, we got to destroy the time machine. Time travel, we can't do it. It's dangerous. And then by the end of the movie, he's like, you know what? Time travel forever. Well, he's, got a, he's got a lady that likes Jules Verne. He's got to show off. He's like, well, yeah, 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 I can make a time machine. Of yeah, I course build I this, can make another one. This time tra- traveling train. Um, no, I, I think like by the end of the movie, at the end, you know, where he shows back up and him and Clara and the kids, we're just to assume that they're like time rangers now and they're just jumping from time to time and just visiting different time i don't know like it's i think it's just meant to be like hey we're they're just living in everybody's timeline now and and uh they don't there's there are no repercussions there there's like the keepers of time yeah i think for me what's the telling part is when uh the note disappears that jennifer has from the future what's it mean it's like nobody's future is written even though this movie has been the series has been pretty much everybody's future is already written, but you can go back and change it. It's kind of this weird rule that doesn't make any sense in this. It's like, yeah, but it was written like, you know, all this other, just at some point hanging out with Clara, he just was like, you know what? Life's better because I, with the time machine, I've found the woman of my dreams. I've got two kids, one of which likes to point at his penis. We can get into that. Um, if you guys know about it, I don't know if Eric does because he's well, never seen the film. Uh, okay, so you're talking about Vern of Jules and Vern, right? Yeah. So I yeah. didn't see him point at his penis, but it, and I'll have to rewatch it again because now I want to see him point at his penis. But I was watching his face, and that kid is making some wild ass faces. Like I was like, "Hey, so like you were watching look, his look face? That's kid. why. Like, what is this kid doing <laughs> in the background? He's all like just making <laughs> crazy faces." Uh, so I did pick up that he was weird, but yeah, I'll have to circle back. I will double back again if you don't mind me saying, and uh, check out uh, the the penis kid. Because <laughs> that's I'll, worth, I'll that's worth getting here. the Blu-ray out again for. <laughs> Because if you like on YouTube, they added this thing um, where you can see uh, <laughs> they zo- what they parts have been reround <laughs> and uh, watch the most. And uh, I'll drop it in the chat here. But um, yeah, so one of the kids and there's a lot of speculation if if he's just saying, hey, I need to go pee or not. Or if like someone put him up to it or if he's just this kind of penis obsessed kid who knows well that that kid's probably pushing 40 at this point so i'm just <laughs> I, I don't feel like i'm picking on a kid when i say where the hell did they find that weird kid <laughs> like, <laughs> like as soon as he showed up i was like why they picked this weird kid like they got this normal kid and then the other kid comes out and he's like, <laughs> like, oh. it's like it's like a demon like why they find Is i just i just watched kid? it yeah. He, he like he does this like motion of come here and then he like points at his dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hilarious. Like what the? Fuck? So you hadn't known about this either. No. <laughs> oh I yeah. Just it's it. 
Go just go to second twenty five of that clip you just <laughs> Yeah, it's classic. I like how the video, uh, the title is "Creepy Kid from Back to the Future Three because they're right. He's creepy. He's a creepy kid. Points to his flux capacitor. <laughs> yeah, excellent stuff there. Great writing. Ah, good times. Um, yeah, I'm glad you guys hadn't heard of that. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, we again we're back in the past. He saves Clara. And he falls in love and decides he's going to stay there because what happens is at a party, he stops Buford from killing. So what I think this is where the shooting would have taken place at things not changed because he mentioned last time he shot someone with his gun. It took him two whole days to die because he's even like you're early, you know, Uh, so Clint Eastwood, a.k.a. Michael J. Fox stops him. By throwing a frisbee, which I love, the frisbee, uh, the pie pan. Pie that's pan. a real deal. Like that's that's really how frisbees got started, which I thought was excellent. Like I love all the times where he uses modern slang, and people are like, "What? You know, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? You know, uh, it's especially when Buford does it. Um, and there's times where he just uses words they do know, uh, like forfeit. Yeah, he's like forfeit. What the hell does that mean? And then the random dumb guy is like, "Yeah, I think that's when you win without trying or something." Whatever. He's like, without fighting, <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that." <laughs> Speaking of moments with um, slang, I absolutely loved the moment where Marty says, "Great Scott," and Doc yeah. says, "Oh yeah, it's kind of heavy, isn't it?" Like yeah. that. That uh, is that the first time that they 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 switched switched that? Yeah, yeah. they switched. Yeah, yeah that was I, good. Just excellent. So what did y'all think um, of um, Mary Steinberg's uh, character, Clara? Uh, did, you, did you enjoy it? Did you think it was kind of aloof? Um, I think she's a great fodder for uh, Christopher Lloyd. Because Christopher Lloyd's kind of a wild, like his hair is insane, his eyes are always bulging out. and So finding someone who can match that and have believable chemistry with him is tough, but I think she does a great job. I think that they do kind of have this interesting thing. I think it could work. You know, they're both scientific people and uh, he's out of his mind, but she's okay with that because <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, if, I don't know if they had he, gone with somebody who was like just as wild as him. I think it would have again, gotten too cartoony, but the fact that they found somebody who was kind of, calm cool and collected well put together you know uh that could work as like a counterpart to him uh uh, it was really good what i what i don't necessarily buy is the whole love at first sight angle like i'm never really down for that and and for people like one day after they met each other being like i love you like that that feels a little hey but that stuff happens in real life now i don't know whether it's genuine or what that usually ends with divorce or murder like (laughs) 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 that's uh, a good a good way to live your life love is blind where they're in a room and like two days later they love each other these reality shows you know yeah how many how many of them really get married how many of them end up a couple of them netflix well anyway um, but yeah, so I, I was fine with that because of the, the, the time constraints of the story, they had to be love at first sight. Right. Well, and I also think, um, um I, I enjoyed, uh, Clara's character's development, I guess, over, over the movie where, you know, she's kind of this damsel in distress, um, for much of the, much of the movie. 
And then by the end of the movie, she's, you know, she's riding this horse and getting on this train. And, and, uh, I thought that was a, a, a unique character development where she's like, Hey, I, I do love this guy and I'm going to do whatever I, I have to, 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 to be with him. And it just showed, I think her character strength of, you know, how, how strongly she felt. And I, I, I like that. I liked uh, her having that development from, a, from the beginning a, of the film. A cool gender swat, like a cool switcheroo from the guy yeah. racing to the gate at the airport to stop the woman from getting on the plane. Right. Like that, that sort of dynamic. Um, yeah, that was cool. And I will also say she is a 100% improvement over Jennifer, who is just a garbage character and shouldn't be in the series <laughs> at all. Like, like... <laughs> I, I still like I was hoping for something more with Jennifer this time that would justify her existence. But really, like nothing like no, there's no reason for Marty to like her. There's no reason like it, the most of the time in the movie, Marty's not even thinking about Jennifer other than the brief moment where he's like, dang, it's kind of weird the way we just left Jennifer on the porch like that. And Doc's like, she's yeah. fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, Claire is like way, way better than Jennifer. Yeah, I I think she's a great addition to the whole series, and yeah, no problems there. Um, I also I like the bar, like the city, the 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 town of uh, Hill Valley is you know sort of its own character to be cliche, and the bar is filled with lots of interesting people. We talked about the voices uh, of the the one guy, um, but also like there's another guy when they're they put a bet so it all kind of boils down to a duel between Buford Tannen and Clint Eastwood aka Michael J Fox Marty McFly and there's a point where he's like you better get out there because the we talked about this whole subplot that shows up in two with Marty not liking to be called chicken or yellow or afraid to do anything and uh you know if someone calls him out he pretty much will do pretty anything regardless of how stupid it is. And, uh, you know, it kind of builds up to this moment where Buford's like, come outside or are you too yellow? But there's a guy at the bar. He's like, Hey man, I got, I got 50, 50 cents riding on you. Don't let me down. And there's another guy that is like, yeah, well, I got $10 saying you're going to get killed. So don't <laughs> let me down. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that whole sequence. I thought it was really well done. I, I liked Marty's fin- final realization, like, oh, wait a minute. This guy's an asshole. Like, he actually says yeah. he's an asshole. Like, why would I go out there? Uh, it, it, the way that he kind of ends up figuring it out and handling it, which was a callback to uh, the movie that Biff was watching in Back to the Future 2, which I thought was yep. super super clever you know like a great low-key callback and those are what i think these last two movies are missing are the low-key callbacks i mean like you said there's that one but how much does he have to talk about loving jules verne you know i love jules verne there's like a whole sequence in their cave where he's just like oh but you know he just goes on and on i'm like okay this is coming back somehow and like they take the point of saying Clayton Ravine and like really, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, it wasn't called Clayton Ravine before, well, mm, you know, like they just kind of, but the first one does it better. Yeah. 
Yeah, the first one does it better than the rest where you're just like, oh, yeah. And you have to watch it a bunch of times to catch everything. Whereas the last two movies are like, make sure they don't miss it. Even when they come back to the future and it's Eastwood Ravine. They it's like front and center, right? Yeah. You know, like in the first movie, when it's called the Lone Pines Mall, if you blink, you'll miss it. But in this, it's like, make sure they see it. We need to show them how clever we are. It's a minor gripe, but it is something that the first movie does better than the other two. Yeah, I I did notice the Statler Statler horses, and in the other movies, there's the Statler like horse or, or uh, car dealerships, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, like this version of Hill Valley is so far back before you know 1955 that there aren't that many ways like. Outside of the clock tower, which I really enjoyed seeing the construction of the clock tower and the clock, that whole thing was really cool. But outside of that, like most of that shit is going to be torn down by the time they get to 1955. So there, there's not that many ways for them to kind of tie it all together, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Still, just, I really liked it, man. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah. So, um, and I, I was telling Jeff yesterday that. Man, it's just the the, and I guess at some point y'all tie this into Spielberg, but um, well, at the at the very no, beginning, no, the first no, thing you don't. see in the movie is Steven Spielberg presents, right. and that's all we needed, right? But like this feels this more than I think one or two feels like a Spielberg movie, um. To me, anyway, uh, y'all have watched a lot more Spielberg than I have, but I, this it just feel this this movie feels like a Spielberg type adventure, um, and you know even though Zemeckis is well documented of making very good films, like you can just see more in this one than the others Spielberg's hand uh, on it. I think. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because we we've the first the first Back to the Future show we did we didn't even mention Steven Spielberg like not once like we got through the whole thing and so the second time I was like hey last week we didn't even talk about Steven Spielberg and then we were just like eh, and moved on and still oh, well. didn't talk about Steven Spielberg. Uh, so yeah, I mean I, honestly with this one I don't know I don't know how much of a hand he had in it like like. Uh, like some of the other things like poltergeist like we definitely knew he had a, like a hand in the story and the editing and the production and so on and so forth he was on the set and so on with this i honestly i don't know like when i was reading through all the trivia and the backstory and all that stuff um i really didn't see him mentioned a whole lot you know like like maybe he's just ponying up the cash for this or like helping you know push it through the studio system or whatever um but I didn't I didn't really see a lot of reference to his like guiding hand, you know, like other one like the Goonies, you know, he had a big part in, you know, he directed a scene in it. Uh, Gremlins, he had a big hand in. But with these, I don't know, I feel like maybe Zemeckis is just such a strong uh, filmmaker. Maybe Spielberg's just like, you got it, dude. Go. You you do you. You know, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't have. The so you mentioned. There. The backstory, and I'm wondering if, uh, because you didn't know about uh, the flux capacitor that the kid points to, um, that Michael J. Fox almost died in the making of this film. Um, he, so that the very, when he first gets back to 
1885 and he's caught by Buford and they drag him by rope on the horse and they hang him. Uh, he actually passes out. They hung Michael him. Michael J. Fox does. Yeah. And he has to be resuscitated. <laughs> and it is crazy like that you almost killed one of the most beloved people in all of cinema um because and i was reading an article about it they said the the hanging things this isn't you know the first time this happened because uh the thing is they're supposed to be acting like they're hanging right you know pretend you can't breathe pretend this is you're dying and when you can't breathe and he's dying it's like wow he's good look at him turning blue and everything oh shit <laughs> like um it's crazy yeah did you did you would uh we, i didn't mention it when we were talking about too but did you see the thing about the woman who got severely injured in the skateboarding scene in two there's i they mentioned it in the article i read about the hanging but i don't know you can see it you can details. see it in the movie so like the three griff's henchmen are kind of like after marty and it's when he's stalled out on the water and he's trying to like get his hoverboard going and eventually jumps off so the the henchmen are like uh kind of cruising towards him and for whatever reason they go flying through the window of the library and they're all supposed yeah. to go flying through the window and she hits a pillar and like just gets wrecked and it's just a split second you, you and it's in the it's movie in the movie yeah they use the actual shot um wow but i guess she was class she was all uh all messed up she did not die I, yeah <laughs> i figured that <laughs> yeah, rest in peace like, people get killed making movies a lot well we've talked about <laughs> it before on this show with of course the helicopter crash from twilight zone but it's always like you don't hear about it that much unless it's a star yeah yeah, but some um, people, though, like, you just kind of low-key read about it, you know, and then it goes away. Like, Tom Cruise, he kills a lot of dudes, I think. Like, <laughs> Really? <laughs> people in Tom Cruise movies tend to get Maybe that's why up. he has to do his own stunts is because people are like, no, bro. Wait, 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 wait. Are you, okay, You're, are, you, are you saying that Tom Cruise is a murderer. has gotten people killed in his films? Yes. Well, I know Tom Cruise has a reputation, particularly with the flying films, for like really pushing the envelope and asking people to do things that they feel are unsafe and then just kind of pushing it and pushing it until they give in and do it. And uh, that movie, maybe 10 years ago, when he was the cocaine smuggler, great movie, by the way. Uh, some guy got killed making that movie doing a, a stunt that Tom Cruise insisted on. Um, but I, I think like probably people get injured fairly frequently because i mean tom tom cruise himself is crazy and so he's like hey everybody be crazy with me let's all we're way off topic but <laughs> i don't know we can we can get into it when we get to tom cruise steven spielberg movies maybe we can make it a topic for this <laughs> there are some of those coming up yeah no those are pretty good um, i like them anyway so i was looking at uh spielberg's filmography around this time and you know this film was I'm assuming it was shot in 89 or uh, 88 um, and came out in 90, but Spielberg did The Last Crusade. Uh, yeah, we just watched them. The timing is actually sort of on point. pretty good. Yeah, because um, yeah, we just did Last Crusade last week. 
Yeah, and then a movie always. I don't even know what that is. But Oh, Lord, you should watch it. It's one of the best films ever made. <laughs> And 1941, I, I, you'll love them both. I, I don't trust you. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, Hook and Jurassic Park. So, um, those are Spielberg's films, like around around uh, Back to the Future Three here. And so, I was thinking, Last Crusade, the best Indiana Jones film, um, has uh, like a lot of just for uh, record keeping, just. For- um, what ethnicity would you say you are? Me, right now, yeah. as a white man. Yep, that's enough. Okay, okay keep going. <laughs> uh, that's just for record keeping. Okay. Um, no, I, I, like there's there's a lot of similarities between, um, just how how this how Back to the Future Three was shot and how uh, remembering how uh, Last Crusade was was made and and Hook. Um, they're all uh, don't. They all these seem very similar. Hook in with these movies, man. No, stop. Shut your mouth, Eric. <laughs> Before we go any further, because Eric has no ability to. Because I ask all of our guests the same question, Mark. We're going to do it early because Eric is just chomping at the bit here. How do you feel about Hook? Oh, I love Hook. Oh, Hook's a great movie. Sake. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love it. Bro, anything with Robin Williams in it automatically is elevated to a B. No, and then you take wrong. Spielberg. Spielberg directing take, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Then you take Robin Williams Justin when Hoffman. he's good is excellent. Robin Williams when he's bad is insufferable. And I would say that that hook is bad Robin Williams. He's wrong. But that's okay, Mark. I love you. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, because you're the first person to actually back me up. Sorry, jokers. <laughs> so I will say, like, similarities between this and The Last Crusade. We were saying during The Last Crusade that I, I was saying that I felt like that was the best version of Indy. Uh, mm-hmm. Because in the other movies, Indies, uh, like, uh, maybe not as heroic. And I, in the same way, I feel like Back to the Future 3 has the best version of Doc. Like, we we both agreed from the first movie that doc is kind of a bad man and in the second movie doc is still pretty questionable um outside of his putting his personal uh personal gain ahead of everything else in time travel which he always does uh i feel like this this version of doc is probably the most heroic and the most evolved that we've seen the character um He's definitely not uh, dealing with terrorists or, you know, flagrantly uh, changing people's face that results in them being dead. You know, like he's definitely uh, doing things at a much more thoughtful level in this movie, uh, despite the fact that he gets drunk off of one shot and passes out at a critical moment. Uh, we didn't talk about that. He's, he's still like, to me, the best version of Doc that we get. I agree. And I, I didn't understand in that in that scene in the in the bar where the bartender like yells out, No Doc, wait and then he takes a shot and he immediately is drunk off his ass. Um like I didn't understand like why the bartender like scream at him to wait. Did he know that he couldn't handle his liquor? I I, I didn't, well, he I didn't says, get that. I think at that, yes, he did know because he even says, you remember what happened on the 4th of July, uh, okay. but I think he also knows at this point, Doc is trying to get the hell out of there <laughs> because Buford's outside and he, and he knows as soon as he takes a shot, it's over. So um, how, I love it. 
and I want to try it. Uh, but how do y'all feel about Wake Up Juice? <laughs> uh, you know, Wake Up Juice reminded me of the sort of crap that kids would do. You know, like I've been at parties where a bunch of different families' kids are together, and they're like, "Let's mix up a bunch of disgusting shit and try to get the adults to drink it." You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> when we were at the restaurant, we'd be like mixing the ketchup and mustard on the table and pour the salt and pepper in and whatever. You get your head swirling around, and make just a big mess. That's what Wake Up Juice reminded me of. Just grab whatever crap you could find in the fridge, and uh, and and pour it down somebody's throat. It works. Yeah, I like. I also like that. Um, once. Once Doc gets the wake-up juice, uh, Marty's like to the bartender, hey, is there a back door to this place? And the bartender's like, yeah, it's all back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go out back, and then they get shot at. And it's like, yeah. it's just, you know, uh, com- comical while also moving moving the plot. Like, the movie doesn't take, the, there's only one scene I remember where, the the movie just kind of stops moving, and it's when Doc and Claire are sitting uh, with a telescope, maybe. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of having like a moment, and uh, yeah. that was the only time in the movie that I I remember where the plot just doesn't keep moving. Um, and I thought like, and I didn't look at the the runtime for this movie, but it was right at what two hours? Around around two hours, yeah. Um, and like no at no point in time when I was like, man, I was like, I wish they do something. Um, and I think that's a that's a an A plus win in my book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, the way the Griff fight goes down, I say Griff, Buford, um, Mad Dog Tannen. The way it goes down is essentially Doc gets captured by Mad Dog, saying he's going to kill him, but I'd rather kill you, Clint Eastwood. And so the whole thing about the being yellow and all this comes around because like uh Seamus is you know Marty's ancestor kind of talks him into you know being the bigger man and it, it actually kind of reminds me of the scene from Friday you know where yeah, uh, yeah, good call. his dad is like you know we we don't need guns back in my day you had these and he holds his fists up and he's like you, you don't have to kill anyone it's still like there are times where you got to fight but Use your hands, you know, like it doesn't need to be lethal. Everything, you know, and so Marty comes out, drops his gun. I figured we could settle this like men. And this doesn't even shame uh, Buford into dropping his weapon and fighting with fists. You thought wrong. And he shoots him. And then my favorite Buford moment is when he's like laughing like, ah. And he's looking around like, aren't you guys impressed with me? I just shot this guy in cold blood. Why aren't you impressed with me? Well, and that little walk that he does when yeah. he's hold, holding the 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 revolver and he's like, <laughs> and he and he, you know, it's just it looks gross, but he's menacing. Um, I mean, he's he's a great character. The uh, that act, Thomas Wilson, is my favorite thing about the whole thing. Griff Biff. Are there anything else he plays? Griff Biff and Buford. They're, they're the best like in every one of the movies um so uh, you know but he's wearing marty under his long cloak thing um that's, is wearing that's called a, a poncho a, sir thank you um mark he's wearing a big metal steel cast iron thing that comes off of an oven which is deflected the bullet like 
Eric said is a callback to a Clint Eastwood movie that Biff is watching uh, in in two. And then they get in a fist fight. Marty wins, dumps Buford into a big thing of a Mar- manure. Marty doesn't just win. Is, Marty beats the snot out of him. Yeah, he kicks, he kicks his, his ass. Which is kind of good be- because we talked about before where Marty isn't afraid to fight someone even if they're bigger than him like if he's backed into a corner and he has to fight he's going yeah to. he's scrappy like we yeah we looked specifically i think of the cafeteria scene in back to the future one where you know he's like you know what he tries to get out of the fight but once it becomes clear oh we're gonna have to fight he's down let's go and now we can see that he's quite the capable fighter yeah he has the he has the uh the chops to back it up so uh, uh, go ahead. Real quick with that scene. Um Sheriff rides in and the guys hit like uh uh Buford's henchmen take off running and you know Yeah, it's like I think I think Buford's going to jail <laughs> and then they just run. <laughs> but like the sheriff the sheriff tells tells somebody, get him out of that shit. Um and I was I was trying to remember, I was like, dang, I, was, I don't remember them. Like I know it's PG, and I don't know PG. I don't think PG thirteen existed at this point, did it? Um, Just barely, but yeah, 19, yeah, yeah. So like, I was trying to remember what's the last PG movie that used the word shit in it, but um, and it was green. It was like it was like fresh, fresh manure. <laughs> yeah, it was it was green manure. It's the grossest manure that, that they've had. Yeah, the Biff family line has fallen into. Yeah. <laughs> I I really um, like the way that tied up. And then, and then we move into the final sequence with the, the train, and and we oh, already kind of talked yeah. about that. But it's just, it's just stellar. And you know, like going into this, I probably just through cultural osmosis could have given you a breakdown of the major beats of the movie. Like I knew they were going to push the DeLorean with the train. You know, I knew that Doc had a love interest, and it was Mary Steenburgen. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's the little moments that I wasn't aware of coming into this. You know, and that's what made watching it fun is the little character moments. And uh, so I was really surprised when the train sequence was just as tense as anything else in the other movies. Like, you know, like I always think of that last act of Back to the Future as one of the most like edge of your seat nail biting sequences ever put to film. You know, like Doc and he's got to slide down the thing and put the put the wires together and the lightnings come in and the car is coming. It has to be timed just perfectly. And so I, I thought they did a pretty good job with replicating that in two, but I thought that this was better. Like I really thought that the tension in this was better because you don't know, like I didn't know you guys know, but I didn't know is doc going to come in the car. Are they going to bring her <laughs> in the car? Is she going to come too? is doc going to stay behind? Like, how is it all going to work out? And, and so watching that play out for the first time last night, was just excellent like like it was really really had me engaged and uh and then okay so marty does go back to 1985 and it's the good version of 1985 and all that and the the car is going along the tracks and 100 percent, i did not see it coming that a train was going to come and <laughs> destroy that car in, in just, spectacular just fashion. Just explodes in the train wreck too. When the train goes off the thing, uh, it goes off the tracks down into the, yeah. the valley. Spectacular, beautiful chef's yeah. kiss. I on think that the destruction explosion. of the DeLorean is done so well and is the perfect send off for the iconic vehicle. It, it just it gets 
utterly destroyed and it, all practical effects. It looks amazing and it comes out of nowhere. I did think it was funny how the guy driving the train was just like, oh man, I've exploded that shit and just keeps on going. <laughs> like doesn't stop, doesn't check to see if anybody was in it. It's like, oh, I guess that's gone. See ya. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really, I really liked it. I really thought it was spectacular. I loved it. I, the, the train that doc shows up in at the end with the creepy kid. Uh, I thought that the design on that train was spectacular for something that's just in the movie for like three minutes. Um, yeah, it does look like something out of some steampunky, crazy 1950s, you know, like really, really cool stuff and and i was i was okay with the effect at the end of it like flying away it's just like you know the car i get i got goosebumps at i the end. I, I actually like, just the music hits got goosebumps too you know what the the end at the end was where it kicked in for me yeah. i was like i can't believe this movie gave me goosebumps like i'm 12 years old but it did <laughs> it actually did it 100 percent worked for me and uh like i said it was just a just a stellar experience to see it for the first time at this age all these years later and i just i was joking about skipping <coughs> skipping <coughs> skipping movies going forward but uh i i just don't think i'll be able to replicate this experience again you know like 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 seeing a sequel all these years later to a movie that i loved and having it actually be good um it's just unbelievable once in a lifetime sort of thing so uh yeah i, I mean stellar fantastic thank you jeff for making me watch it (laughs) the uh um so a little uh a little nostalgia for me um when i was probably about 12 uh saw this movie and remember thinking that the the black toyota truck that marty has was like the coolest truck I've ever seen. And when I turned 15 and got, uh, you know, my, my learner's permit driver's license, I remember telling my, my mom, I was like, man, I'll, I really want a, a Toyota truck like that. And it took me until I was 17 years old, but I finally, I finally got one and it was the piece, most piece of shit truck you've ever, you've ever had. Um, <laughs> And it was it was red. It had, it had like rust spots. But I remember thinking I was like, "Damn, I had this. I have the same truck." And I I'm pretty sure it was the same year. I don't remember. I don't know what year that truck was. It was probably like an '88 or an '89. Um, it would have to at least be '85. Oh, that truck. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, the the truck I had was probably like an '88, '89. Um, yeah. But I remember thinking that I was the it was the coolest thing that I had the same truck. Now I didn't have the Casey lights and you know, all that it wasn't nowhere nearly as nice, but I remember rolling around as a 17 year old in this truck thinking, man, how cool am I with this back to the future truck? And it was the most asinine thing that I, I could have driven because it was a pile of garbage. Um, yeah, but it was just like, that, that's the effect that this movie had on me as a kid is that, you know, it wasn't anything about the West or anything. It was like the end of the movie where, you know, the, he's riding around this truck and then the, the scene where him and flea are at the light. And I didn't remember flea was in any of these movies. Um, oh. so, so when he popped up, I'm like, I'm leading over to Caprio, like, Oh my God. Um, yeah. And, and then I, I went back and I looked and, and he's in the other movies too. But, 
Um, but like, like that whole scene was like so cool. And then like he, he reverses back and, uh, what's her name? Jennifer, uh, is like, Hey, did you mean to do that? (laughs) He's like, he's like, yeah. And then, and then he's like, Oh, I would have run into that, uh, that Rolls Royce or whatever. And, um, I just thought that that whole scene was, was, was cool. Um, it's because it made him appreciate or it made us appreciate that he, he had some sort of, uh, just like this moment where he he knew that had he had he made the decision to go head on with Flea, he could have died. You know, I don't know. It was it, yeah, because it's it's established in two that there's an accident that happens that causes him to not be able to play music anymore, which then sets his life on a current path of just sort of mundaneness, and he get it's like. He and Flea Needles shows up in two where he uh, dares him to do some embezzlement or whatever, and it gets Marty fired, and that's what that paper is that Jennifer has. Um, And it's that moment, which he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know that this is the moment that he needs to change the course of his life. Um, He doesn't even know that it's... A problem. It just it just you happens know, uh, because he has grown as a character. Yeah, right. Whereas we know that there's something that happens accident wise, and this is it. And it's a callback to that. Um, how did you feel about that, Eric? As far as it rounding the edge of of you, one of the problems you had with Marty uh, was, just sort of being good. It was good, kind of shitty in the future. No, yeah, I I I, I thought that it tied up nicely. So you know, I'll, I I'll, I will mildly retract one of my many criticisms of two um, <laughs> because it does tie it off nicely here in three. But uh, like, yeah, again, overall, I mean, just about the best, the best sequel I, I could have hoped for in this movie. So um, I, I did not write any of- questions about this. I didn't have much time to think about it. Like philosophically this morning, uh, but uh <laughs> I, I will say that um, this was a, a stellar achievement for these guys. You know, like I really, really feel like like this caps off the series almost perfectly. And the fact that that the public seems to love to so much and kind of craps on this one uh, is really disappointing. And it just shows that people have no taste, I think. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean with this guy? It's passive aggressive. I mean, at least Mark insults me to my face. He doesn't try to, you know, lump you in with the general public. Yeah, yeah. I just say I have no taste. And anyway, I do. I I I have re-ranked the films. It is a three-one-two for or a one-three-two for me. Uh, one is still my favorite. Then three and two. Because I do see the problems with two. It's not a consistent story arc like this is, like one is. Um, so I get it. Yeah, one, one, three, two for me as well. With two being uh, like barely, barely hanging on by the skin of its teeth as part of the trilogy, as far as I'm concerned. How about you, Mark? Yeah, it's uh, it's three, one, two. Um, I, 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 I do really enjoy one. I just I three like I said before is just so much bigger, uh, so much more in depth with all the characters. Um, 
that it, like to me it just forces it almost forces me to appreciate this one more than one um but yeah that's uh two man i haven't watched two in a long time but it doesn't really seem i get why some people don't like it but i'm a fan of thomas wilson's biff and that's biff's film um i i've i've always described it as one is about george two is about biff three is about doc and then marty is sort of weaved between all of them um and as a biff fan that's why i like too there's just i get the problems but there's just so much biff and old man biff is the best i think it's fair that you have your opinions like that's cool you know, you just might as well not say anything at all. <laughs> I just say I've got the the Blu-ray box set, and I'm not going to say outright that I'm going to pull that second Blu-ray out of the the box and burn it with cigarettes. That's but fine, you know. <laughs> like you said, some people don't have taste. <laughs> so what's next? Um, what's next for us, Jeff? Well, Mark, not Mark. Whoops. It's all right. <laughs> it's easy to get confused Eric. these days. Yeah, I get... it's time, my friend, for us to finally. Discuss at length the 1991 classic starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts. We're going to finally watch Hook. Okay. See how excited he is, Mark? <laughs> Rufio. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. Rufio. I'm going to go into it with an open mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the kids in the room and see, see yes, how it works for them. They will help. They will help you get over your jaded, you know, everything needs to be dark and awful mindset. You know, like life can be fun, Eric. I don't, I don't know. You get me confused with somebody else. I don't think everything I've seen. Um, Mark, actually, I think. Because <laughs> he, likes, he likes movies where everybody dies at the end. <laughs> I like that, too. But, I mean, I like, I like happy see, and light movies, see? too. Both of you. Yeah, like, I, I'm well, open. I'm open. We'll see how it goes. Do you know what's after Hook? What's that? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Hell Park. Yeah. yeah. So don't worry. It'll be one week and then we get into an actual perennial classic. Sounds great. <sighs> well, Mark, uh, tell people about yourself where they can find you, but they probably already know because, you know. Yeah, those, uh, this was this was a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, uh, great excuse to. And I'm also going to watch Hook. I'm just going to watch Hook in anticipation of the episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I got someone on my team. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen it in such a long time, but uh, oh, here we go. Don't give them a reason to start chiming in on you. <laughs> but uh, but Jeff's got a, a week of of Robin Williams on deck, so um, that's true. Good, good it really you. lines up well with the other show, even though the release schedule. Well, it might. I don't know. It's all kind of weird. But actually, uh, what are you doing on the other show? The, World's greatest, called, world's greatest dad. Oh yeah, yeah, that was like one of his last films, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I got double Robin Williams duty this uh, week. But no, um, you can find me on uh, with Jeff on uh, Movie Draft House. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I Heard You Liked, uh, where I, I I pretty much talk all things movies and and film and TV. But he, he defends Jared Leto with his uh, last breath. Jared Leto is my boy. Uh, yeah, I gotta say that go we work back. that we work show on Hulu made me a Jared Leto believer. Like I, I have to say, like I, I was a non-believer before. I watched that and I was like, oh, this guy, this guy's actually he's so, yeah, he's so baby faced. Um, 
That dude's like 55, man. Um, yeah, we went over it. It's He's crazy. so old. It's crazy. And he, it's like, he plays like 20-year-olds in, in film. But, yeah. Um, but no, uh, yeah, once again, that's... It's like I said, it's all the demon worship. <laughs> Listen, man, I don't, who cares? <laughs> who cares? He, make, he makes good shit. I don't know if he worships the devil. He probably does. Just... Everybody in Hollywood does. All right? Uh, they're all oh, lizard wow, people okay. worshiping the devil. That's fine. <laughs> oh, what websites do you go to? 4chan? That's a QAnon reference. Um, I guess, did you cover everything? I keep interrupting you, which is pretty much my MO. Yeah, yeah um, I only have the Twitter, so it's fine. Yeah. Social media. Well, be sure to check those out. Also, you can find Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore Hotter. Check out his YouTube uh, which you can find in the links in the description, GamingNexus.com. Uh, what else? Is That's that it, it, Eric? That's it. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast by Jeff, of course, Movie Draft House. Um, and there's 30 days of Van Damme out there. It's finished if you wanted to. I don't know why. Nobody's listening to it. Just me. I have more listens on it because I've entertained myself <laughs> thoroughly. Um, but, yeah, that's it. So next, uh, in two weeks, we're going to review Hook. We're going to take next week off. We've We've done six episodes straight get over it and then we'll probably think of some other once you get to another back-to-back shit snooze fest like always in uh empire of the sun which weren't shouldn't have been back-to-back because indiana jones was between anyway we're out of here thanks for coming on mark and we'll see you in two bye weeks.